right, hello. It's great to see you all here in person, folks online. Today, we're going to talk about names. We're studying the book of Exodus, and the book of Exodus starts out, the first words of the book of Exodus are, these are the names. Names, the name of God. It's kind of what the book of Exodus is about. But the story of Exodus is really, really old. Culturally, the way we look at names has changed a bit. So first, we're going to think about how we think about names. Today, here are two names that we talk a lot about. Republican, Democrat. If you're a Republican, if you think of yourself, if, if you if you take that name on, it's probably because you have certain beliefs, right? You believe in limited government and conservatism and, you know, individual responsibility and so on. And likewise, if you're a Democrat, if you wear that name, it's probably because you believe in strong government and liberalism and, you know, social programs and the like. Okay? That's why we take on those names. Now, I know beliefs are kind of all in flux right now, but the point is that we carry those names because we think we hold those beliefs. But if we're not Republicans or Democrats, when we look at the people that carry those names, we don't just see beliefs. No, 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 no. When opponents look at Republicans, they also see actions, behaviors, character, right? They, they see conspiracy theories, and they see cruelty to people that are different and immigrants. They, they even see racism and dishonesty and, you know, hypocrisy. Same thing. When opponents look at Democrats, what do they see? Oh, they, they see this know-it-all arrogance. They see, you know, tearing down of family values, even baby killers, and of course, hypocrisy and dishonesty too. Now, okay, I know that things are super polarized, right? That, that everything is so exaggerated these days. But look deeper in how we think about names. When I talk to my friends today, right, and I try to bring up the actions, the character in their political parties, they, they all, all, what they say is, that's not me. That's not me. I'm just a Republican. I'm just a Democrat because of my beliefs, because I agree with those policies. And that is a really modern way to think about names, that they're just a label, that maybe they just go with beliefs. And you know, we totally, definitely apply this modern thinking to the name Christian. We do. If we think of ourselves as Christians, followers of Jesus, it's probably because of what we believe, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he rose from the dead, he died for our sins, rose from the dead. But you know, historically, when people started to be called Christians way back in Antioch, it wasn't because of what they believed. It was because of their behavior, because they talked and talked. They wouldn't shut up about this Jesus Christ character. And even today, when opponents look at Christians, what do you think they see? What they believe about Jesus? Nope. No. They see hypocritical. They see 
insensitive and out of touch. They see judgmental and anti-homosexual and too political. See, how we think about names has changed. If you go back to when the Bible was written, everybody understood that your name also stood for your character, who you are, what you're about. To, back then, to, to carry a name, to wear a name, was, wasn't just to represent like a, a, an abstract principle, a set of ideas. To, to carry a name back then was to represent the, the character, the purpose, the mission of that name. Now, today, we still kind of hold our opponents to that standard, right? But we've let ourselves off the hook. Because we think somehow that it just be, it's just a name, that it just being a name, that somehow leaves us free to, to be ourselves. It doesn't. No, not really. It, it's kind of a lie. And if we go back 2,000 years to the start, right? At the beginning, there was no such thing as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian who just believed in Jesus and who wasn't also learning to live like Jesus, to have his character. The Apostle Paul, one of the first followers of Jesus, early church planter, he wrote, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The goal of everything we say, everything we do, is to represent Jesus, God. Yeah, well, let's be honest. That's not the goal of most believers today. No, maybe it's just for some like really hardcore people. Maybe, it, you know, maybe it's for some you know, folks who have taken it just a little bit too far. This fall, my friend Jerry and I, we're going to lead a small group based on Corinthians 3. And I bet you it will be one of the least popular, the smallest small groups here at the Vineyard. Yet, this being transformed so that we represent Jesus, that we bear his name, is super important. We skip past it, but it's in the Lord's Prayer. It's even in the Ten Commandments. We'll get to that as we study Exodus. Yeah, we should get back to Exodus. <laughs> in Exodus, in Exodus, what we see in the Exodus story is that God, God is on a mission, okay? First, to share his name, to reveal his name to his chosen people, to share his name, his character, his purpose, and then through his chosen people to reveal his name, his reputation to the nations, to the entire world. It's a big deal all throughout Exodus. So what we're gonna do is focus in on God, his name. We're gonna look at the story and how it shows us his character. It reveals him to us. We'll be at that probably till like Thanksgiving. Okay, and we really need this. We do, because so many of us, we need a reminder of who God is. Like the ancient Israelites, we live in a harsh time, and it's easy to forget God's name, what he's really like. And also, this is super practical, God's name, knowing his character. Because, you know, pretty much all of our sin, all of our rebellion, you know, every time that we get stuck in, in worry and pride and, and loneliness and all those things that drag us down, every time we do that, in that moment, we've forgotten 
who God really is. But you know, God's got us covered. For centuries, he's been using the Exodus story to introduce himself, to let us in on his name and his character. So today, we're in Exodus chapter 3. Grab a Bible at home. Grab your Bible. Um, It's on page 39 in the Bibles we got here, okay? And we're going to look at this famous story of Moses and the burning bush, right? God shows up in a flaming shrub and tells Moses his name. Yeah, God's like, hi, Moses. You know, I'm the God of your ancestors. My name is Bill. Except his name isn't Bill. No, Yahweh is God's name. Yahweh. And if right now you're thinking, Yahweh? Really? I mean, that's God's personal name, like Bill? Where's that in the Bible? Really good question. (laughs) Um, Our Bibles, they don't translate. They don't give it to us as Yahweh. Instead, they write the word LORD in all caps, and that's confusing. And we have this short little Bible project video that helps explain that. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the second key word here, Lord, written in all capital letters. This is the personal name of Israel's God. We first learn the meaning of this name in the story of Moses and the burning bush in the book of Exodus chapter 3. God appears to Moses and he commissions him to liberate the Israelites from slavery. And so Moses wonders, what if people ask the name of the God who has sent me? And so God responds, tell them, Ehyeh has sent me to you. Now, that Hebrew word Ehyeh means I will be. In other words, God's name means that he is the one who is and who will be. God's existence doesn't depend on anyone or anything else. This God simply is. But it will sound kind of strange for Moses to go say to the Israelites, I will be has sent me to you. Only God can say, I will be. So in the next sentence, God tells Moses the version he should say aloud, Yahweh, the God of our ancestors, he has sent me to you. Now, that word Yahweh is the ancient Hebrew form of the verb he will be. And this is the personal name of the God of Israel. It appears over 6,500 times in the Old Testament. Now, here's what's interesting. Over the centuries, Israelites wanted to honor the sacred nature of this divine name. So, as they read the Hebrew Bible aloud and they came to this name, they stopped saying Yahweh and instead started saying the Hebrew word for Lord, which is Adonai. Now this practice has been continued throughout the centuries and so later when people started translating the Bible into English, they adopted the same practice. Instead of spelling out the divine name, they translated it as LORD spelled in all capital letters. Okay, you got that? Good, because there's more. Ancient Jewish scribes wanted to prevent anyone from even accidentally saying this name aloud when you read the Hebrew Bible. And so they came up with a visual device to remind you to make sure you say Adonai. They took the four consonant letters of the divine name. These letters correspond to our English letters Y-H-W-H. 
Then they inserted the three vowels from the word Adonai and combined these together to create an artificial hybrid word, which if you pronounced it, it would say Yahuwah, but no Israelite ever said Yahuwah. It's simply a visual reminder to say the word Adonai. Now, it gets more interesting. Much later, Christian scribes came along who didn't know that Yahuwah was an artificial word, and so they began to say it aloud and spell it in their writings. This is the word that eventually entered into into English as Jehovah, it's a word many people still use today. But the main thing is, the word Lord in all capital letters is an indication of the divine name. Don't confuse it with the word Lord in your English translations that's not in all capital letters. That is the actual Hebrew word Adon, which just means Lord or Master. This word can refer to people like kings or the master of a servant, even a shepherd over his sheep. And sometimes biblical authors will use this word to refer to God, like in the phrases the Lord of all the earth or the Lord of lords. But behind all of these words, Yehovah, Lord, Adonai, stands the original divine name of the God of Israel. It refers to the one who was, who is, and who forever will be. Okay, let's read chapter 3, where God introduces himself as Yahweh. And don't forget my long rant at the start about names. Uh, when God, when he shares his name, he's also sharing his character who he is. Let's look throughout this story at who God is. Let's let God reveal to us his character, his purpose, what he's up to. So starting in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Hebron, the mountain of God. Now, remember Moses last week. He's this big shot in Egypt, and um, he, he gets himself in trouble, right? Murders somebody, and he ends up in exile. That's where Moses is now, where God finds him. God is the God of perfect timing here, of patient love. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush, bush does not burn up. Okay, the crazy burning bush. Fire, it is powerful, powerful. And you don't just believe in fire, right? You experience it, and it doesn't burn up. God, he is self-sufficient. When the Lord saw that he was gone, excuse me, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. God, he's talking to Moses. He communicates, he's personal. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because, their because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. He's the God that sees. Michael talked about this two weeks ago. He's the God that's concerned, compassionate, engaged, loving. 
So I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians. This is a story. This is a God about rescue, about redemption, about liberation. To rescue them, to bring them out, to bring them up out of the land into a, into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pretzelites, Hivites, Jebusites. Okay, um, wow, there's a ton in just that little bit there. He's a good and he's a generous God, a God that keeps his promises. He also, he deals with evil. He's a God of justice for the rebellion, the evil of the peoples here that he lists. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians have oppressed them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God is on a mission, and he works through people. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Okay, this is foreshadowing to when they come back to the mountain, back to Mount Sinai, and the people, they receive this opportunity, this test from God. And we'll probably get to that at around Christmas time. Uh, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Yeah, slavery in Egypt, slavery in sin. It has a way of causing us to forget God's name, his character. And here Moses is like, hey, uh, God, what should I tell them your name is? Because, you know, they probably forgot what your name is. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is the name for, this, this is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Oh, this is so good. You know, like the fire, the burning bush, it doesn't go out. God is self-sufficient, but it goes even deeper than that. God, he is the source of all being, and he is faithful, he is steadfast, he is the God of covenant love. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey, journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord, our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go 
unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. That, after that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. Again, he's a God of justice, even of fair pay and back wages for the Israelites. All right, look at the screen, right? That's just a sampling. It's just a sampling from one chapter of all the names, all the parts of God's character. There is so much here. We cannot talk about all of this today. No, it's going to take weeks, okay? But today, we need to narrow it down. And maybe this is kind of cheating, but what I'm going to do is jump ahead to after Moses receives the Ten Commandments, God again introduces himself. Then the Lord, Yahweh, came down in a cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation." Okay, today, today we're going to focus in on how he's a God of love and of justice and rescue. So, first off, God's name is love. And there is so much of God's love in the Exodus story, right? He, he sees, he listens, he cares. He's a God of goodness and generosity, a land flowing of milk and hum, honey, abounding in love, patient love. I don't know about you, but I, I, I actually want to become more like Jesus, right? I, I want to represent his name well. But I, can t I tell you, I can be a ridiculously slow learner. So many times God has had to talk to me about my pride. I am so thankful that he is patient, slow to anger. He gives us tons, tons of chances. You know, the, the people he lists here, the Canaanites, Hittites, Pretzelites, he, he gave them over 400 years to turn from their evil, their rebellion. And then there's Moses, right? Re remember chapter two, right? Moses, hot shot Moses back in Egypt, right? There's Moses, and, and he's gonna like free his people. He's gonna set them free on his own, and so he charges in there full of pride, and he kills an Egyptian, and he you know, strikes a blow for justice. Well, Moses actually wants what God wants, justice, liberation for the people, but God can't work through someone who's so full of themselves. What's amazing, though, is God doesn't give up on Moses. No, he waits him out. He waits until Moses comes to the end of himself. A failure, 
a forgotten old man, eking out a living in a forgotten land. And when Moses has gotten to the place where he's, he's even lost confidence in himself, then God shows up and says, Moses, Moses, now you're ready. You're ready to do great things. You are ready to set my people free. Same thing with us. God, he is lovingly waiting for us. He doesn't give up on us. He doesn't write us off. He is so patient with us. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're trying to go through life on your own, to make it work on your own, and you can't. Jesus, he is waiting with arms wide open. Or, or maybe you, you have a relationship with Jesus, and throughout the years, you've seen things that need to be fixed, right? Injustices, ways that, that you want to make this world better, but you can't. But God, he's waiting. He's waiting for partners that'll humble themselves and partner with him to make this world perfect again. Now, God, he's not going to wait forever but he is waiting for us now. Are we gonna cling to our pride? Are, are, are we gonna keep going it alone? Or are we gonna come to the end of ourselves and surrender to him and join with him on his great mission? Oh, and if you think what I'm saying right now doesn't apply to you, that God's not lovingly waiting for you, well, then you don't know God and his incredible love, his personal love. I love verse four in the story, right? Moses gets all curious about the burning bush, and God sees curious Moses, and he calls to him by his name, Moses, Moses, right now. God sees you. He sees you. Are you at all curious what God's up to? Move towards him. Open yourself up a little. Hear him call your name. Seriously, you may hear an audible voice. He still does that. Or, or you, you may hear a, a still small voice in you calling you. May, maybe what you'll feel is just a wash in his presence, his love. Or, or, or maybe you'll start crying for no apparent reason. There's no one way. There's no one formula. When God calls your, way, your name, he calls it in the way that's best for you. It's personal to you. See, what God wants is relational intimacy with us. That's who he is. And if you think about it, who in your life are you close to that you don't even know their name? For those of us who don't know God, or maybe we don't know him very well, let me introduce you to him. He already knows your name. He doesn't just call you human. He wants you to know his personal name, Yahweh because he wants to be close to you, to you. God, he's inviting us to get to know him personally, to, to experience, to, to know his name, his character. Are we in? Well, remember, this all starts out with a flaming shrub, okay? Uh, 
And I think it's fair to say, at that point in the story, the, the flaming shrub, Moses, he believed in God, but he'd actually never encountered God. He'd never had a personal experience with God. It's kind of like um, with fire, right? You can know about fire, you can believe in fire, but it's way different to actually experience fire with all our senses. Same deal with God. Lots of folks today, they believe that humans are sinful, right? That, that we do evil and we deserve to be punished, but it is way different way different, to actually be convicted of your own sin, to feel the weight of the darkness within. Lots of folks today, they, they believe that Jesus died on that cross, but it's way different to be revolutionized by that, to have your life flipped upside down so you become more like Jesus. You represent him in everything you say, everything you do. Like Moses, we need to go from just believing, just mental assent, to having a life-changing encounter with God. I mean, look at the folks in the Bible. Read church history. Talk to people today. God shows up. The Holy Spirit comes with fiery love. And if you're like me and think, oh, maybe not me, you know, I'm part Vulcan, right? I'm unemotional. I'm, you know, not, I'm all just logical. No, no, no. God breaks through all of that. He, he comes for, and it, he comes with his fiery love even for super nerds, okay? Blaise Pascal, that guy was a super nerd, geometry nerd. He was a genius French philosopher. And he went from just believing in God to having what's called his November night of fire, and we know about this because after Pascal died, they found that he had written about it, he had written a little note about it, and he'd actually sewn it in to the lining of his coat. The year of grace, 1654, Monday, 23rd November, from about half past 10 at night until half past midnight, fire! God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Your God will be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. He is only found by the ways taught in the gospel grandeur of the human soul, righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. This is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and the one that you sent, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. See, like Moses, Pascal experienced the fiery love of God. He went from just believing to having a life-changing encounter with God. Has that happened to us? There's really nothing more important than this. If you've never experienced God's fiery love, are you open to it? You, you can ask him for it. And, and if you have experienced his fiery love, has it changed you? Like Moses, Pascal, has it made you more like Jesus? 
so that you bear his name, you represent Jesus? And are we open still to even more of his fiery love? Again, nothing more important than the fact that God is love. That's his name. But there is more. There's more. God's name is justice. And to be loving, he has to be for justice. I mean, if you've ever been hurt, if you've ever been sinned against in your life, you know that God can't be good, he can't be loving, and just ignore our pain, right? It has to be made right. Somebody has got to pay for sin down to the last cent, down to the back wages. But you know, we, um, we don't just get hurt. We hurt others. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, the amazing thing about this story in Exodus, when Moses meets God, is not the fiery bush, right, and that it isn't burnt up. The amazing thing is that the murderer Moses isn't burnt up when he meets the Almighty God. See, God didn't just know that his name was Moses. He also knew that his name was murderer. Just like God knows all of our names. He knows that our names are liar and thief and adulterer and addict and uh, idolater. He knows all of them, all those names that we bear. And the wages of sin are death. We are slaves to sin. We need rescue. Thank God God's name is rescue. Just like this loving, personal God saw the Israelites, right? He saw their slavery in Egypt. This loving, personal God, he sees our slavery to sin, and he cares. Just like this God, he, he, he made a way to free the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and bring them into a new life, into the promised land. God, he's made a way to free us from sin and death and give us a new life, a new life in Jesus. The reason that the Exodus narrative, that it is the meta-narrative of the entire Bible, it's, it's because it's what God's doing. It's who he is. It defines his name. It's also why the name of Yahweh is merged into the name of Jesus. The Apostle Paul talks about this. It's why Jesus refers to himself throughout the Gospels as I am. And we don't have time to unpack all of that today. That's good stuff. No, but Jesus, he is key to God's rescue. Jesus, do you know him? Only son of God, right? Who humbled himself, became human, lived a perfect life. Then he suffered and died on that cross to rescue us, to pay the price, to, to experience hell for all the bad things that we'll ever do, and also to give us his righteousness, his perfection, so that we can be with him, so that we can enjoy him and his life-changing love. Has Jesus rescued you from sin and death? Has that love, that rescue, changed you? Yes, maybe, kinda, I hope so. Let's take those questions and just put them on hold for just a minute, okay? 
have we been rescued? Are we becoming like Jesus, representing his name? Let's put that on hold because I think there's a path to maybe more clarity, more certainty here. Let's go back to Exodus, okay? Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am sent me to you. Boom. Seriously, that's like the biggest mic drop right moment right there in all of human history. And I'm sure we've got some philosophy nerds here who want to dive into those deep waters, right? He's saying that he's timeless, no beginning, no end. He's saying that he's not dependent on anything, right? Nothing caused him. He's saying that he is the source of all power and being. He is being itself. It is mind-blowing here. And we don't have time to get all philosophical today, but just notice the name he chooses, the elegance and the beauty, the power, the, the genius of that incredible name. Our God is amazing. And it's also, his name is super practical. It matters every day, every moment, that God depends on nothing, that everything depends on him. Jesus, the practical part of this, he summed it up brilliantly when he said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. Wow. Jesus. It's uh, maybe an overstatement, but only a little bit of an overstatement to say that to rescue us, to, to make it so that we bear Jesus' name, to, to make our lives better, stronger, happier, all the Holy Spirit is doing is just getting us to know, to believe, to live like what Jesus said here, that this is actually true. How we become better, how we become stronger, how we become happier is just for us to, to know, to actually know that without Jesus, we can do nothing. All that I have accomplished, all, all that I've worked for in my life, right? All my gifts and abilities and talents and opportunities, my health, my very being is all from God. It's all a gift. In fact, God's rescue is itself a gift. Now, if you've been hanging around church for a while, you might be thinking, oh yeah, of course, right? We are saved by grace alone, not by works. Yeah, totally true. And there are lots of people hanging around church that know that way more than actually believe it, live like it's true. A big way we see this is how a lot of saved by grace Christians, we view the Exodus story. We, we ignore the timing of the story, the order of events that first God sees he cares about them, then he rescues them, and third, he gives them the law, rules, so, so that they can be his people, so they can represent his name well, 
So many Christians, we, we think, we, we, we assume, we pretend that it happens in the reverse order. First you get the rules, then you get rescued, then God loves you. Why? Why do we miss the incredible grace, the incredible love in the Exodus story? It's because we're not expecting it. We're not experiencing it in our lives. Our worldview today, it revolves around pride and earning it and getting what you deserve. We, we, you know, we come to church, right? We do the stuff, right? We, we try hard. We're basically good people. God's got to like us. Now, I can tell you that's dumb. I can confront you with the truth right? That God, he doesn't grade on a curve and we'll never make ourselves perfect, right? There's no way we can earn it. All we can do is give up on ourselves, go to him empty-handed, and let him rescue us from sin and death. Let him give us new life, make us more like Jesus. I can tell you all that. But you know, lately, confronting people with the truth has had limited success. And I think I'm just a little tired, Besides, Exodus, first God loves them, then he rescues them. Please, today, right now, press into his love for you. For real, for real. Look for God's love in your actual life. Do, do you feel how much he cares about the problems in your life. Because he cares more than anybody else cares. Do, do you see the incredible blessings in your life? All that you've done, everything you've worked for, all your abilities and talents and opportunities, everything you have, your very being is a gift from him. Do, do you see him in the Exodus story? Just like he waits for Moses. He's waiting patiently for you. Just like he calls Moses' name, he's calling your name. He wants to, to partner with you to make this a better world. Do you see him in Jesus? His love for you in Jesus, the only son of God who humbled himself, became human, lived that perfect life for you. He suffered and died on that cross to rescue you. He would have done it only for you. That's how much love he has for you. So he could pay the price for all of your sins, so he could give you his righteousness and his perfection, so you can be with him. You can enjoy him and his life-changing love. That's who he is. Press into his love God is love. It is his name. Let his love show you that it is safe to give up on yourself and accept his gift. Okay, let's take those questions back down on the shelf. Has God, has Jesus rescued you from sin and death? Has that love that rescue, has it changed you to be more like Jesus, to represent him? If, if there's any doubt in your mind, in your heart, if you look at your life and you are not 100% sure, press into that now. Holy Spirit, come. Come with your fiery love. Come now. Come. 
We need you. We need to know who you are, God. We need to know your name, your character. We need you, God, because without you, Jesus, we can do nothing. Hey, I think we've already gone into ministering time now, so why don't you uh, stand up? Uh, folks at home, we're going to pray now. We're going to um, experience in God. We're going to stand up here, but I invite you at home to put yourself in a position to, to receive from God. So, Lord, I do invite you here even more. Holy Spirit, come. This is the part that matters, the part where we actually let you change us. God, just fill this room with your love, your fiery love, Jesus. And again, we all experience it in different ways. But help us, give us the strength to open ourselves up to it, to you calling our name. Oh, come, Lord, come. Remind us of what Jesus did for us. Remind us of your incredible love and caring in our lives. Show us the truth. God, we are so stubborn and selfish and prideful, and the thing that breaks through all of that is your love. Come with your love. Come now, Lord. Come. We need you. Oh, you love us so much. You are incredible. And as you're experiencing that love, as, you, as maybe you're just getting a glimpse of it, if you want to tell God that you're in, if you want him to rescue you, if you want him to change your life, to be more like Jesus, it's pretty simple. You just tell him that you're in. I'm in. Um, I'm actually going to go ahead here, and I'm just going to pray a simple prayer of surrender. And maybe you've never prayed something like this, or maybe you want to pray it for the hundredth time. I know I, I, love, I, I love re-upping with Jesus. I would just encourage you to say these words to him now. Jesus, thank you for your love. I want more. So because of what you did on the cross, paying the price for the bad things I've done, because of the resurrection proving it's all true, I accept your rescue. I surrender to you. Without you, I can do nothing. So I want to be in you and you in me. I don't want to be thrown into the fire. I want to be like you, Jesus. Represent you, bear your name. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Change me from the inside out. I'm yours. Amen. Amen. Hey, I'd like to um, invite the ministry team to come forward right now. We got some folks here that are trained to pray for you. Online, you can click on the ask prayer button. If you just prayed that with me, if you said that to God for the first time or the hundredth time, I'd like to invite you to come up and talk to these, some of these folks. Have, God, have them pray for you. If you're just starting a relationship with Jesus, we have these great little packets here we can give you. You know, if you're having trouble maybe actually receiving God's fiery love, let someone pray for you. Let them help you connect with him. Maybe what you need in your life is justice, right? Things have gone wrong in your life. You, you, you're, you're struggling with how this is not a fair world, or maybe you need healing, or, or there's relationships that are in trouble. We'd love to pray for that. Or maybe the, the end of justice you're feeling is your own sin. You can't break out of it. 
Whatever that thing is, that sin of choice, that addiction, we'd love to pray for that. Let Jesus come today and rescue you. Let him change you and give you new life. They're gonna lead us in some, some more worship here, and I know we've been at this for a while, but I'm gonna encourage you to just slow down and let Jesus love you now. Let him work in you as we continue to worship. Thank you so much for coming to the vineyard today.